Definitively Speaking is a definitive healthcare podcast series recorded and produced in Framingham, Massachusetts. To learn more about healthcare commercial intelligence, please visit us at definitivehc.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Definitively Speaking, the podcast where we have data-driven conversations on the current state of healthcare. I'm Justin Steinman, Chief Marketing Officer at Definitive Healthcare and your host for this podcast. If you're of a certain age like me, you grew up watching The Six Million Dollar Man on television. You saw Colonel Steve Austin crash his spacecraft and get rebuilt using the latest scientific innovations to make him better, stronger, faster than before. And while today's guest is not implanting bionic limbs into anyone anytime soon, he is using advanced material science to create graphs that arguably outperform animal and soft tissue graphs. These electrospun fibers mimic the structure and architecture of cellular tissue, may deliver lower costs, and are supported by clinical data. But I've got you intrigued. Or if you're just wondering what in the world electrospun fibers are, now stick around for the next 30 minutes or so for my discussion with Dr. Matthew McEwen, co-founder and chief science officer at Acera Surgical. Acera focuses on the field of soft tissue repair. Their electrospun fiber matrix technology, better known as Restrata, is available in three configurations of surgical matrices, providing relief to patients who suffer from surgical wounds, trauma, burns, and chronic wounds, among other indications. Dr. McEwen is the co-inventor of Acera's nanotechnology platform, co-founder of the company, and current board member of Acera Surgical. He's currently responsible for managing Acera's IP and patent portfolio, new product research, and the design and implementation of clinical studies. Dr. McEwen graduated summa cum laude with a degree in biomedical engineering from Case Western Reserve University with a specialization in polymer biomaterials, biomaterial biocompatibility, and then went on to complete his PhD in biomedical engineering from Washington University. Dr. McEwen, welcome to Definitively Speaking. That is one heck of a scientific background. <laughs> Thank you, Justin. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. We are glad to have you here. So there was a lot in my introduction there, and I got to be honest, that felt a little bit to me like I was describing a science fiction podcast. So, <laughs> But what you're doing is anything but science fiction. So let's start with the basics. What is a soft tissue repair? Sure. It's a great question. So um, so as you know, all of our bodies are made up of many different types of tissues like muscle and skin. Uh, and for many different reasons, um, our bodies can get injured, right, from trauma, from disease. And in many of these cases, you know, uh, our soft tissue can heal themselves. But in some instances where maybe the, the injury is too great or the wound is too large, sometimes um, the body needs some additional help. And that's really where uh, our technology comes in. Uh, it can sort of help uh, some of these soft tissue deficits heal and get you back to kind of your your normal state of uh, of living. So give me an example of what a soft tissue deficit is, because when you say deficit, I think of a budget deficit. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, so so uh, when you think of like a soft tissue deficit, it's uh, essentially like a big piece of tissue that's sort of missing in your body. Like, let's say, uh, unfortunately, you're in a, in a car injury or a car uh, crash and uh, and you end up having a big, you know, laceration in your on your leg, right? So maybe you have a big piece of tissue that's missing or you have a big laceration that your body can't heal on its own uh, and you're just you're just missing some tissue, that might be where you need uh, some type of advanced therapy to help your body actually fill in and heal that wound, essentially get that tissue to reform and get that wound closed. Got it. Okay, so you're kind of helping patch up big cuts and big gashes in the body almost, right? 
Sure, sure. And it doesn't have to be necessarily all due to trauma, right? Uh, sometimes these uh, these soft tissue deficits or or wounds can result from other medical conditions, right? So, um, for example, sometimes uh, you can have underlying, you know, vascular or um, uh, other sort of metabolic issues like diabetes that can cause, you know, the skin and other tissues to break down. So, so you can get these soft tissue injuries from a variety of different sources, whether it's traumatic or medical. Got it. So then... What in the world is an electrospun fiber matrix? <laughs> sounds cool. No, I know it sounds a little uh, science fiction, like you said, but um, really what it is, is it's sort of a whole new class of matrix that we can use to help uh, the body repair its own tissue and, and essentially uh, heal some of these difficult, again, wounds or, or soft tissue deficits uh, that the body couldn't heal on its own. So what these electrospun uh, matrices are is essentially a soft kind of compliant, almost like cloth-like material, uh, but it's made up of these synthetic fibers that are many times smaller than individual cells. And so as a result, it does a really good job uh, presenting a structure and architecture that looks a lot like native tissue and allows cells to interact with the material, grow into the material, and then uh, essentially support the wound healing uh, process. Uh, and we actually make these uh, materials in a really special way. So we use this technology called electrospinning, which is a really uh, sort of fancy manufacturing technique that allows you to make these ultra small fibers that are, again, so small that they're they're smaller than individual cells. Uh, so we use this unique process called electrospending. We create these materials and we've created sort of this synthetic alternative that you can use again in the body to help uh, encourage the body and cells to help sort of heal some of these, these difficult uh, wounds or, or soft tissue deficits. Got it. But this is not like nanotechnology like I saw in Iron Man 3, right? Like this is like, <laughs> that's like smart nanotechnology. That's like Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is like nanotechnology in terms of like smallness, right? That's right. So so when we're talking about the scale of the fibers, these fibers are, you know, submicron in 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 size. So they're on the order of about 100 nanometers all the way up to uh, you know, about a micron in size. So again, many times smaller than than individual cells. And what we found in our research is that if you if you make these fibers so small that they're um, you know, many times smaller than individual cells, uh, it actually changes the way that cells interact with them. Cells can actually grab onto these fibers. They'll grow on into the fibers and they can use the fibers as a construct to form new uh, tissue. And then eventually uh, that new tissue can help heal some of these uh, these deficits. Where did you get the idea for this? <laughs> I'm sitting here like flabbergasted. <laughs> So uh, when I was an undergraduate at Case Western Reserve University, around the age of like 19, I just got really interested in material science. Did my undergrad work in biomedical engineering, but when I was a freshman in college, I got into a research program and ended up working in the polymer science department at Case Western. And while I was there, uh, I had a chance to work with a, a number of great folks, uh, one of which was one of the sort of forefathers of this whole concept of biomaterial biocompatibility, or essentially how the body interacts with synthetic materials. And so in, in some of that work, I just uh, got a chance to see how cells interacted with synthetic materials that we were putting into the body. And it got me thinking, could we design a, a better material that works better in concert with the body and could help sort of 
support this, you know, this wound healing process. And then when I uh, when I came down to Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis, I went through their MD PhD program. And while I was in the lab doing my um, uh, my PhD in biomedical engineering, I happened to work in the lab of a, a gentleman by the name of Yunnan Shah. And we got really interested in this this unique type of electrospun material. We found that cells could grab onto it and grow on it very easily. And we eventually found that it provided this kind of optimal uh, structure or architecture for cells to grow on and grow into. And so we thought maybe this electrospun material might be sort of this optimal sort of engineered alternative that we could use to help encourage this wound healing process and could be sort of an alternative to all of these biologic and and uh, animal-based materials that uh, that people were using at the time in the operating room. That's fascinating. So you have to have some patents. How many patents do you have on this? So uh, we have a number of patents. We uh, we actually started filing some of the patents when I was a grad student at Washington University, and uh, we started patenting the everything from the uh, the way we made the fibers to the unique manufacturing equipment, all the way to the end composition of matter of the of the materials, and we even patented some interesting sort of ways. Uh, and tools for deploying the material in a variety of sort of clinical applications. And so today we have over 80 granted or pending uh, patent applications that cover the technology. So we're really trying to kind of help protect the technology and then also serve sort of the the leader in this new sort of field of synthetic and engineered materials for for soft tissue repair. So you mentioned WashU. My sister went to WashU, so to my brother-in-law. So I'm a big fan of WashU. But I imagine you took stuff out of WashU, and so you had to work with the technology licensing and transfer office, right? Mm -hmm. We have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to this podcast. Talk about the process of working with the technology licensing transferring office. How did that go? What what should people know about working with offices like that? Yeah. So when you invent something um, uh, as an employee of a university, uh, the university has uh, the rights to your to your invention, right? So, um, so we first z- discovered this material and uh, uh, and sort of figured out the application for it in in soft tissue repair and in in, in wound healing. Um, we started filing all these patents, and so uh, these original kind of core patents were immediately sort of owned by the university. And so, when we decided that we wanted to sort of translate this technology and actually bring it into the the clinical space, we realized that uh, first of all, we needed a company to actually help move this forward. And then we also realized that we needed access to these patents uh, in order to move forward with that company. And so we went back to the university and uh, and said, hey, you know, uh, we think this technology has uh, a lot of potential way beyond um, just the academic space. And we really want to help commercialize this technology ourselves. And so we worked with the tech transfer office at WashU and, uh, uh, and helped to get a license in place. And uh, and they were just really great to work with. So not only did they help us sort of uh, get a licensing agreement in place, but they also helped us with a number of other uh, key functions. So they actually provided some non-dilutive funding for us to to work out some of the basics of the technology. They even uh, helped sort of introduce us to entrepreneurs and advisors uh, sort of in the, the medical device uh, industry. And eventually they actually even uh, the university ended up investing in the company through their entrepreneurship uh, arm as well. Uh, so they've been just very, very great partners to work with. And we've been uh, kind of working in conjunction with them now for for over 10 years. Wow. Wow. So this company was founded when? 10 years ago? That's right. We started Acera in 2013. So uh, this is our our 10 year anniversary this year. Happy anniversary. So talk to me about the idea of building a company from a product that came out of a lab. What was that like? I mean, you started from ground zero. 
What are some kind of your lessons learned? What was the big mistake that you made or the big success or both of those? Yeah. So I, I don't think I ever like necessarily meant to start a company or, or, or go into this area of sort of entrepreneurship. The reason that I actually went to medical school originally was I just wanted to be the guy who could, you know, potentially, you know, um, come up with some new ideas, some new technologies in the lab, and then also have the clinical skills to be able to apply it right uh, uh, in the clinical setting. And when we kind of came across this technology, um, uh, we really kind of realized that maybe this, you know, synthetic electrospun you know, matrix could provide this kind of new alternative in this in this area of, of wound healing and, and soft tissue repair. And so um, in looking at how we could potentially get this technology sort of over this over over this gap and into uh, the, the the clinical space, what we realized was the only way it was going to make this leap is if we had kind of a company behind it. So I never really meant just like set out and, and create a company. It was more kind of a means to an end to actually get this technology into the hands of surgeons and clinicians, you know, who could use it. Um, and so um, uh, the way it worked was, uh, you know, we kind of uh, sat back and said, well, we need to put a company together in order to move this technology forward. So when I was a, a grad student, we formed a little LLC and essentially just went around um, the Midwest uh, and eventually the whole U.S. kind of pitching this this concept of using these electrospun materials as this sort of new alternative in this in this area of of wound healing. And eventually we built a small team of about four people and uh, raised a little bit of money here in St. Louis. And we went from this idea in the lab to our first FDA approved product um, in about two, two and a half years. Uh, but the key was really, I think, I think surrounding uh, uh, surrounding myself with people who had complementary skill sets. So I was lucky enough to find an amazing mentor who's still uh, with us today, named Agnès Rejero, who came off the board of Express Scripts and who just did a great job, kind of filling in some of the business know-how that I clearly didn't have, you know, coming out of med school. And uh, and then we found some other folks who had more of that, you know, operational or or business expertise. And so it was really kind of that collaboration, right? That that matching of skills that I think really allowed us to to move the technology forward in such a such a quick pace early on. Biggest lesson learned. What do you what do you know now that you wish you knew back then? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I, I think if I could do it again, I mean, there's lots of there's lots of ways that uh, I, I think we could do it more efficiently. I, I think just kind of going back to it, I, I think I probably would have just kind of gotten started with it. Uh, a little sooner. I think um, I, I think people, especially in the academic space, when they have these ideas and think about kind of commercialization and 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 tr and translation of technologies, they see all these hurdles, right? Raising money and building a team and and all of this. And I think it can seem very daunting, right? And and I know we definitely had those same kind of thoughts uh, uh, when we were thinking about uh, getting started uh, with a Sarah. And, uh, and and I think looking back on it, I think there's always going to be potential challenges. Now seeing how uh, how you can sort of overcome some of these obstacles and uh, uh, and and really move the technology forward probably would have, have have done a little earlier and probably jumped in with both feet uh, even e even sooner uh, knowing that there's lots of uh, supportive folks a lot of you know team team members out there who can really help uh, help you sort of achieve that goal of bringing technology to bear. So you've mentioned a couple times that this is an alternative solution. What were people people been getting cuts for thousands of years? What were people doing to treat this before you came along? Yeah. So, uh, so today, most of the the clinicians and surgeons uh, here in the U.S. are kind of using uh, a few different technologies to treat these difficult to heal soft tissue deficits or, or wounds. 
So uh, the first, uh, I guess, material they're using is the patient's own, you know, the own skin, right? They might harvest uh, the patient's uh, skin and graft it into a uh, a wound or a deficit where, you know, where they need to sort of promote healing. Uh, the problem with that approach is that you end up with this donor site that uh, that now has sort of lost some tissue and now you have sort of another wound you've created, right? So that's one option. Uh, the other option is that there's a number of different animal tissues that, that folks have developed where they'll harvest, say, tissue out of a, a cow, a pig, or now even things like a fish. And they'll actually uh, harvest that tissue and, and and throw that into a wound bed to help promote uh, tissue healing. Now, uh, in those instances, while those materials can be you know uh, inexpensive, uh, a lot of times they're challenged by things like biocompatibility. You know, your body can recognize that those tissues are not human, right? And your body is going to try to get rid of those materials, and it's going to have inflammation against those materials. Uh, and there's a even a pot potential for you know disease transmission. So those are uh, some other limitations associated with sort of the animal tissue option. And then uh, more recently, there also have been um, a series of, of materials that are, are human derived, right? So maybe harvested cadaveric, um, you know, human tissue or human amniotic tissue that uh, folks are using to try to promote healing. But again, those can be very uh, challenging to procure. They can be uh, uh, difficult or costly to use. And so um, as a result, we really, we really see our synthetic engineered material is sort of a whole different, you know, paradigm shift, right? Moving away from this concept of just harvested, you know, human or animal tissue, and now using sort of the most advanced material science to sort of engineer uh, a matrix, engineer a material that has all the right properties that that doctors need to encourage tissue healing, and then also uh, that can potentially can potentially add to some other, you know, logistics or or economic outcomes down the down the road as well. We had uh, a xenotransplantation, actually a topic of an entire podcast here. So this is the second podcast episode where xenotransplantation has come up. Uh, we did one around the pig transplant, heart transplant earlier this year. I never thought I'd be having conversation. I didn't know what xenotransplantation was 12 months ago. That's where I'm coming from. <laughs> so here we go. So what's been the adoption? Like you talk about this as an alternative, you're creating a whole new category. Has it been faster than you expected? Slower than you expected? How's it going? Yeah. So uh, I think in the first, you know, it took us, like I said, about two, two and a half years to get our first product, you know, through through FDA approval uh, and, and into the market. And at the time, of course, you know, it, it it feels like an eternity, right? Trying to get all of the pieces in part, get all of the testing get all the packaging together to get that uh, uh, that first product out. But since that time, I think we've just really seen the adoption of the technology and the interests from the uh, the clinical community just really skyrocket. So I, I think it's really interesting. There's a lot of different kind of changes happening right now in clinical medicine, especially around how we treat some of these soft tissue deficits and 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 wounds. And uh, what we're seeing is just that there's there's sort of an interest in finding a new alternative to get away from some of these uh, higher priced options that were uh, around previously, like for example, those harvested human tissues. And uh, we're really seeing folks gravitate to this new engineered alternative. It's really what we're seeing sort of, sort of uh, that folks are sort of looking for this new this new alternative and they're and they're really finding a lot of value in this sort of engineered option. And so so over the last two years or so, we've really seen this go from sort of a, maybe something that a few people have heard here and there to now uh, getting entire systems uh, moved over to the technology. And we're just seeing some really amazing clinical results with the, the product as well. So while the first few years definitely felt like it, uh, you know, felt like it took a while to get the product out there. Now, uh, really, I think we're seeing a lot of momentum and and folks are adopting it pretty quick. 
So what are some of those amazing clinical results? Talk to me about this. Gosh, so I mean, we've we've seen our technology, our electrospun uh, matrix, and our products like Restrata heal some wounds that uh, have not responded to uh, to any other uh, therapy, right? For example, um, there was a, a a patient that we treated just just recently um, who had a large uh, tissue deficit related to sort of a, a, a surgical procedure that they had uh, previously, and uh, the the clinicians who treated her. Uh, tried every option you could think of. They tried treating this, you know, this wound with uh, multiple different animal-based products, multiple different human-derived uh, products, uh, and nothing would work. You know, the uh, the wound was very, uh, you know, very big, very difficult. They needed to fill in quite a bit of tissue, um, and eventually, uh, what was neat is the these uh, clinicians who were treating this patient actually reached out to. Uh, one of their colleagues who had a lot of experience with our product with Restrada, and they said, "Well, you know what? Um, you know, this is sort of our last option. Let's give it a let's give it a, a chance." And they ended up using uh, Restrada and the Electrospun Matrix in this patient, and uh, not only uh, were able to uh, get this wound filled in and eventually reepithelialize, but actually were able to get this patient who had been in the hospital for months ambulatory and actually got that patient discharged. So so what's really exciting is we're just seeing the technology work in some of these most difficult cases. Um, and we're just, as a result, seeing it really make a significant impact impact in uh, in the quality of patients' lives. So are you selling to surgeons in hospitals? Is that your target customer for this? Yeah. So we're definitely seeing a lot of different types of, uh, of surgeons and clinicians using the product. Um, mostly we're seeing folks utilize uh, our technology in the OR, in the surgical suites. And we're working with a number of different types of, of clinical subspecialties. So we're working with plastic surgeons, vascular surgeons, foot and ankle surgeons, so a number of different uh, specialties, even folks now in uh, uh, you know surgical oncology, right, using this to help treat wounds that might be created after, say, uh, resection of tumors or, or, or cancer. So uh, what's really neat about that, though, is that um, we're just finding all these use, uses for the product uh, across a variety of different clinical specialties. And we're just seeing it now work in some of these, uh, you know, uh, in treating some of these uh, wounds or soft tissue deficits that we just sort of never even envisioned, you know, uh, early on with the with the company. So, so yes, yeah, so we have a number of folks who are using it now in the operating room and in select settings. We're also uh, using it in the the outpatient side as well. But we're seeing some really great results across a variety of different uh, clinical specialties. So, when you're selling this, what's the most common objection you hear from physicians who you're talking to about this, and, and how do you get them over it? So, overall, I think the biggest challenge we have is just that this is such a different approach. It's just such a different type of technology than folks are are using, right? I mean, a lot of these clinicians and surgeons uh, are used to using harvested tissue products. And so the idea of using an engineered synthetic material instead can seem like a uh, like a like a big leap. But what we end up doing is sort of explain to them how the technology works, how this electrospun material is designed, you know, to be similar to the structure and architecture of of native human ECM. And how the material, you know, works to support, you know, uh, wound management and wound healing. Uh, and then that this is where we kind of show them some of the basic science work that we've done with the technology and some of the clinical research that we've done. And and typically we can get folks over that over that hurdle uh, and give uh, give our technology a, a shot in some of their uh, their difficult cases. And and what we've seen is people just uh, be blown away by uh, by the clinical results and really just um, be shocked at how well. 
sort of engineered uh, material can work in some of these some of these cases. So um, so I think, uh, you know, to that end, I think that all of our, you know, investment over the years and all of this basic science, you know, uh, research and, and now sort of the, the, the clinical data has really paid off because we have this, just some great uh, data behind the technology, behind the products that really uh, show folks how, uh, how how unique this technology is and how great it can do in their hands. That's just amazing. So when we were prepping for this podcast, you mentioned to me that steering the clinical process is like steering the Titanic. What did you mean by that? Yeah. So, um, you know, it's interesting coming out of academic medicine. I think that we have this view, right, that clinicians and, and systems across the country are just, you know, uh, very progressive and can, you know, turn on a dime, right, uh, in order to sort of uh, adopt you know, sort of new clinical techniques and technologies. But what I found kind of going out and 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 uh, working with, you know, systems across the country is that it just takes time to, uh, you know, kind of convince folks that there's a, a new and a better way to do things and then, you know, build that that adoption. So it just, uh, what I've realized is that, uh, you know, it just, it, it, it definitely takes time to kind of move and change standards of care and, and clinical practice. And I think what we're doing now is we're finally, you know, getting more and more partners on board and I, and I think we're starting to see, you know, this technology kind of uh, uh, make an impact in in this area of, of healthcare. So uh, so so, yes, big changes take a while to, you know, to come down the road. But I think once you have this, you know, once you have this kind of momentum and you sort of built up some of this critical mass, I, I really do think that you can change, you know, change a, a clinical practice for the better. You know, they always say necessity is a mother of invention. That's kind of a classic phrase, even a cliche, if you will. And you could say that hospitals right now are under unbelievable financial pressure mm-hmm. to do things differently, lower costs, do some stuff like that. Are you finding hospitals are more open to innovation and new ideas now than they were, say, five years ago? Yeah. So as we've gone out and talked to more and more of the hospitals and the hospital systems, I think what we're finding is that everybody is just you know extremely cost conscious these days, right? Uh, and everyone's trying to find how we can improve uh, upon you know cost of of care for for patients. So I, I do find that a lot of these hospitals are just always upfront thinking, how can we reduce the cost or how can we reduce our spend on products in this in this particular space? and And that's really, I think, one of the really unique uh, opportunities that we have because um our technology, you know, being synthetic, being engineered, uh, remember, it's just it, it logistically, it's you know easier to it's easier to make. You don't have to go out and harvest. Uh, human or animal tissues and then decellularize them and store them in a tissue bank. So logistically, you know, our technology can provide some benefits and potentially our, our technology can also uh, reduce utilization and, and reduce number of applications uh, and potentially uh, also reduce cost of care. So um, so overall, we're finding some ways that our technology can not only sort of improve clinical outcomes and uh, and and help some of these clinicians treat some very difficult uh, you know, cases that they have, but uh, we also have the opportunity uh, with the technology to, uh, you know, reduce uh, uh, the hospitals, you know, spend in this area too. So I think there's some really great ways that we can sort of uh, help solve this problem of increasing, you know, cost of care and and also potentially solve some of the hospital's issues with wanting to uh, find less expensive solutions. You know, Matthew, it's just been an absolutely fascinating conversation. I got one question before I let you go here. It's just kind of what's next? What else can you do with this technology? What's in your pipeline? Spill your secrets. <laughs> so, 
so so yeah so so moving forward i mean we're just i think uh you know kind of um scratching the surface with uh this technology i think there's so many interesting applications for uh electrospun materials and we're really excited to uh explore applications of technology not just in sort of uh, the wound care and the soft tissue repair space, but beyond that as well. So there's many different ways you can actually tailor these materials and and dial in many different properties that might be suitable for other clinical applications. So down the road, uh, we really see Sarah bringing out multiple products across many different clinical applications and really serving as sort of the primary sort of driver of this electrospun technology in uh, into the healthcare space. So so down the road, I think we have a lot more. Uh, great, you know, uh, concepts that'll be coming out. Uh, and hopefully we can use this technology to improve care in other areas of, uh, of medicine beyond, you know, wound care and soft tissue repair. Fascinating. I have just learned a ton today and I can't wait to see what comes next from Acera Surgical. Thanks again, Matthew. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. And for all our listeners out there, thank you for listening to Definitively Speaking, a definitive healthcare podcast. Please join me next time for a conversation with Brian Drozdowitz, who is a senior vice president and GM of the acute and payer markets at Point Click Care. Point Click Care is a leading healthcare technology platform enabling meaningful collaboration and access to real-time insights at every stage of the patient healthcare journey. More than 27,000 long-term and post-acute care providers, over 3,100 hospitals and health systems, 2,200 ambulatory clinics, every major U.S. health plan, and more than 70 state and government agencies use point-click care, enabling collaboration and value-based delivery for millions across North America. Brian and I are going to have a conversation around the challenges and opportunities of delivering value-based care across multiple physical locations, and we'll see how many times I can say point-click care correctly versus doing the tongue twister that the name of that company is. I do hope you'll join us and listen and perhaps even laugh at me. If you like what you've heard today, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or if you get your podcasts. To learn more about healthcare commercial intelligence can support your business, please follow us on X or Twitter at DefinitiveHC or visit us at DefinitiveHC.com. Until next time, take care, please stay healthy, and remember to stay away from soft tissue deficits.